Well, as a bit of a tradition I've started over the last few years when it comes to Christmas is, um, is I like to show you guys uh, what our Christmas lights look like on our house. And uh, it's a tradition that I know you all get really excited about. And so I, I don't want to uh, deprive you of that uh, joy of seeing. I get very excited about putting house lights up. So this year I thought I would step it up a little bit. And um, so this is, if you want to go to Kettle Valley, um, then I don't actually need to tell you where in Kettle Valley. Just follow the glow. Just follow the glow. Uh, actually, no, I'm only joking. It, actually, our house looks like this. Um, <laughs> I have no idea where these houses... I mean, yes, that's, that's not our house. Not even close. Um, usually what happens is when it comes to lights is it comes to that time of year where you have to time it before the snow comes because it's nice when the lights get covered in snow. And this year, nailed it. Um, it was great. But uh, if you want to come to Kettle Valley and try and find our house, it does not look like that. Isn't that amazing? Just want to just bask in the glowy warmth of the, just the picture. Never mind getting inside that house. Amazing. I love lights. I love Christmas lights. I think uh, I, I am, you know, those of you who uh, go in the Upper Mission or live in Kettle Valley, um, it's, just, it's just such an amazing thing. We, go, we usually go for a walk around, and there's just this warmth and hope. And it just gives you a sense of what it is to be, you know, Christmas Day. And you, you see the lights and you get excited for something that's going to happen in the future. Uh, because, you know, Christmas is, has this beautiful hope surrounding it and a place and in a moment in our culture where it kind of feels dark. I don't know about you, but I, I just feel like life feels a little bit dark right now. Uh, it, feels, it feels a bit heavy. It's a bit gloomy. Overall, and uh, whether you look at our country with COVID or our province with flooding or, or maybe, maybe it's just your personal life that you feel like you have shadows in your life, as it were, or darkness in your life. And, and darkness is kind of a very emotive word. But, and what do I mean by that? You know, maybe you, there's a situation or a circumstance or a person or, uh, or something that has happened, a health issue, that it just feels like it's a, a shadow in your life. Uh, it's just kind of this gloom. Uh, it's like a, a cloud that follows you. And, and sometimes you get into this place where you are so used to worried or being concerned about something that when you wake up in the morning and your brain is kind of defragged overnight and you've got clear thoughts, but then there's just this thing, I'm worried about something. What is it I'm worried about? And then you start worrying that you're not, you can't remember what it is that you're worrying about. And then you remember, oh, praise the Lord. I remember what I need to worry about. I can relax now. That's just darkness. That's what it feels like. Maybe you feel afraid and powerless. Maybe, maybe this is the first time in a long time you've been to church and you've just felt like life feels like a bit of a shadow. That yes, there are points where you can be hopeful and it's exciting and lovely, but there just seems this sense of, I just wish things could be different. Maybe you've asked the question, where is God in all this? Where, where is God in all these different things that are happening on a personal level or on a, on a provincial or country level or on a world level? I remember being as a kid, not overly afraid of the dark, but I do remember, uh, I don't know if any of you did this, and maybe you're just going to look at me and just think I'm a very sad and pathetic individual. It's probably too late, but... Um, there was that moment where you flick the light on at the bottom of the stairs and you need to, you wait. I remember opening the door of our lounge, as we call it in Britain, which is your sitting room, and bringing my arm around, flicking the switch on so I didn't have to go in the hallway where it was dark. I mean, I was probably about 17 or 18 at the time, I don't know. 
And then you open the door and you go in, okay, his light is on, and you switch the light on for the upstairs and you go up. And then if your sister or your brother switch the lights off when you come back outside of the bathroom, this panic entails, so then you're fumbling around for the light switch. And, uh, and I remember getting to the bottom of our stairs and before you get in the sitting room and, and switching the light off once I got into the lounge. And if you'd asked me, why are you so afraid of the dark? I, as a six or seven-year-old little boy, I wouldn't have been able to articulate why I was afraid of the dark. I just was. There's something about the darkness that as a little boy you just don't like. I told you the story before when I went on a, a management training uh, weekend, and this is probably 20-some years ago, when if you went on a management training weekend, you could expect to do things like orienteering. Do you remember those days? You know, like, if you want to learn how to be a leader, then we're going to drop you off in the middle of a forest with a map and a compass. That'll learn you. I'm like, what has this got anything to do with being a school administrator? I mean, like, map, you know, there's some analogy there, but... Oh, well, you'd float around on a lake, and I remember having to make a, uh, make a, uh, like a pontoon, a raft, and float around on a lake because it taught me good leadership. Still don't quite understand that, but I do remember one particular thing that really did teach me a lot. And I've used this story before, but they took us into a mine in Wales, and uh, we walked and walked and walked into a mine where the track would be, where they pulled the coal out, right into the center of a mountain. But think, think the Hobbit. Um, like the, the mountain hobby. You just go in and in and in, and then they switch the lights off. I still to this day have never known darkness like it, where you strain to see anything, and you cannot see anything. And you, you think you've experienced darkness until you've actually experienced something like that. It's really odd. You might as well just close your eyes for the use that they are. Most of the time, we can find some kind of light. Total darkness. And the immediate panic that wells up. Because we are designed to live where there's light. We're not designed biologically to live in the dark. We're not. We're not sending out sonar signals and bouncing off walls like bats. We're designed to live in the light. And so when you come to Christmas and you think about lights and you think about Christmas time, lights are and Christmas are, are, are synonymous. It's, there's this, and we talk as Christians about light of the world. And, but what do we actually mean by that? The scripture that was read for us this morning by Aaron, and I appreciate that, in Isaiah chapter 9 is one of those classic Christian uh, Christmas sections of the Bible. For unto us a child is born. It's a beautiful scripture, and it's, it's actually interesting if you look at the history of the time of, uh, of Judah or northern, uh, sorry, southern kingdom of Israel or Judah at that time. It's a very, very dark time. King Ahaz was, uh, was king at the time, and you can actually read in verse 2 of the scripture we read in Isaiah chapter 9 that there was darkness, deep darkness dwelt in a land. That if you lived there, you sensed this deep darkness. Was it literally dark? No. Did it feel dark? Absolutely. And there was tremendous pressure on King Ahaz at the time. He was a king who represented the country. He was under tremendous amount of pressure from other countries to form a coalition to fight the Assyrians. If you know anything about the, uh, the Assyrian history, they were a formidable and horrendous, horrific army. They had a scorched earth policy. They would actually do what a nuclear bomb would do now 
without the radiation. They would not only destroy the people, they would destroy everything, even down to throwing salt deep into the earth so nothing could be grown. That was their policy. And so King Ahaz and the surrounding countries at the time are facing this unbelievable threat right at their gates, and and there is terror in the city. How are we going to survive this? How are we going to get through this? Where is God? I thought we were a promised people. I thought that God had given us promises. How are we ever going to get through this? Where is God in this? Maybe that's you right now. You just feel like there's an enemy at your gate. It's just a shadow. There's a, it's not that you're actually literally living in darkness, but you feel like that, a deep darkness. And maybe you've asked that same question, where is God in all this? Well, for Israel at that time, we find some answer as to where God is in the previous chapter. In chapter 8 and verse 19, it says, And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they not inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to his word, it's because they have no dawn. There's that light and darkness again. Then they will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against the king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into deep, thick darkness. Israel is telling the, the, the country, this is what will be, this is what is going to happen. And if you look at the history, you actually find out why this is the case. This feeling of there not being a dawn, this feeling of only looking to the earth, this feeling of looking at mediums and the dead to try and find an answer. And Isaiah, who's the prophet, comes and says, actually, this distress, this anguish, this darkness, you'll be thrust deeper into it. It will feel thick. You'll be able to put your lives in front of your face and still not be able to see any light. That's what it's going to be like living in Israel in that day. Why? Where is God in all this? Well, if you look at the history, you'll see that they had drifted away from God through their own disobedience. They took steps away from Him. They listened to the wrong voices, voices that chirp and mutter, voices that influences, if you like, that had come into their nation. They had listened and they had followed and they had drifted away from God. They had been influenced no longer to follow after God, but they had disobeyed God. And as we think about this story, really what we're seeing is a a microcosm of life today or humanity today that we have disobeyed God, we have drifted away from God, there feels like a darkness, it doesn't feel like there's light in our land, it can feel like there is gloom and anguish, even on a personal level, and we ask the question, where is God in all this? And the most loving thing I can do is to say, perhaps there's been disobedience in your life, that you have drifted away from God, God has not drifted away from you. And just like the prodigal son who took that first step away from the father, that eventually led to him being a great distance away from God. It only takes one step. We don't drift. I've said this before. You don't drift into goodness and godliness. You drift away from God so easily. And this was where Israel found themselves. The amazing thing is, though, regardless of the distance between you and God, regardless of the darkness that you might feel, the anguish and the gloom, the heaviness, whatever, the thickness as it's described in this scripture, 
the beautiful thing, all through the Bible, you see this, this narrative of God's people drifting away from him and God pursuing them. He's not finished with Israel. In fact, we read about it in chapter 9, for unto us a child is born. He's not finished with us. You might feel a long way from God. Can I encourage you and say this, that God pursues you. The fact that you are here this morning is not an accident. That you might think, you, I'm going to go to church this morning. Well, where did that thought come from? I can tell you it doesn't come from Satan. I think you should go to church and listen to that British guy. I think you should go to church and sit there and be surrounded by prayer and worship. It'll be terrible. That's not, that's not a voice that comes from the world. This isn't a, a voice that they were following that we read about the mediums and the necromancers that chirp and mutter the people of the earth. That is not a demonic or evil voice that's saying, no, that is God wooing you towards him because he's not finished with you. That even though it feels so dark, He's a God who pursues, and he pursues with the promise of light. He pursues with a promise of light, a light of hope. And that's what Christmas is all about. Because if you read this scripture, the people who walked in darkness, it's the same group of people who were experiencing this thick darkness because of their own disobedience. God says there's a promise. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. The promise of a light to come. And then in verse 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This is Jesus that Isaiah is talking about. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So even though Israel was feeling the darkness, even though there was an enemy at the gate, even though it was because of their own disobedience, their own efforts, listening to the wrong influences in their life, God says, there's a sun coming, there's a light coming, that dawn will happen. And that dawn comes in the form of Jesus. And all that Jesus brings, the love, the guidance, the hope, the peace that promises to come into our lives as a result of following Jesus, that is the light of the dawn. Maybe just for you, cresting over the hill, you can just see the glow of the light. You can't yet see the sun, but you can feel and sense the glow of a light coming. That is what God is communicating to us this morning. That's what we remember at Christmas. That's why we put lights up, because we're celebrating the light of Jesus' birth. You know, we put lights up on our houses without actually really thinking, why am I doing this? This is really strange. I'm going to put lights up on my house, and, and I'm going to kill a tree and bring it inside. This is really odd. We don't think about it, but actually what we're doing is remembering the hope of light called Jesus. It says in John 1, in this beautiful description of who Jesus is, and, and I've just kind of picked out a couple of verses in, uh, in John. Oh, my clicker's not working. I don't know if you guys can catch me up. Now, oh, ooh, no, that's too far. Let's go back. There we go. John chapter 1, verse 4. In him, Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. This is a descriptor of the one called Jesus. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The darkness, the the community, the country, they don't understand your faith in Jesus. They don't understand that the light that Jesus can bring. 
the true light that gives light to every man, everyone, not just man, but every woman, every child, everybody who chooses to believe in Jesus, this light can shine into your life, that the man was coming into the world, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is the one that Isaiah is prophesying about. His name is Jesus. He's saying it feels dark now. You feel like there's thick darkness in your life. Let me tell you, there is one coming, and he'll bring light and life to the full. How is this possible? How is it that Jesus coming into the world, how is it that Christmas that represents Jesus coming into the world, the incarnation of Jesus, fully God, coming as fully man or fully baby, how is it that this light actually brings light into our life? Where do we get the hope from? Well, in the same way that Judah and Israel and indeed ourselves live in disobedience a lot of the time, that, and what do I mean by that? It's when we judge that we can be king and queen of our own lives. We don't need God. I can do it myself, and we just go about life in our own manner and make the decisions that we think is right. We basically take God off the throne, and we place ourselves on the throne. This is what creates disobedience in our life. And Judah did it, Israel did it, many, many people all through the Bible did it. You and I have done it. Maybe you are still doing it if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. But Jesus was different because Jesus lived life in total obedience. It's very hard for us to understand what that is like. Because we can't do that outside of the ability that God gives us. We, we can't live in total obedience in the same way that Jesus did. Jesus obeyed his Father and lived perfectly. He loved God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, with all his mind. He loved his neighbor as himself. He lived this perfect life, a life of justice, a life of love and wisdom. Everywhere he went, he brought the light of God into that situation. That's who he was. It was an amazing, light-filled life. And it was a life that no one else is able to live. He came fully God, fully man, perfect in what he did. And his reward was spit and torture. It took him to the cross. That he wasn't given a reward of a throne, he was given a cross. He wasn't given a crown like we would a royal person. He was given a crown of thorns. That ultimately the mission that he came to earth to do was fulfilled on the cross. And so you have this perfect person in total obedience going to the cross. This is what Christmas is about. He comes with light, as we've just read, and it eventually takes him to the cross and he dies on the cross. Why? Well, the scripture thankfully tells us. Because God needed someone perfect in order to absorb, if you like, and the, the, the theological term is that our sin was imputed or placed upon Jesus. And he paid the price for my disobedience. He paid the price for your disobedience. Well, why doesn't God just forgive everybody? Why, why is it that he needed Jesus to die? That just sounds really cruel. 
I think what we forget, especially at Christmas, and really we do this all year round at any time at all, is we love the idea of God. I've said this many times, but it is so important. We turn to the scriptures, we turn to the Bible, and in this we see a God who is merciful and kind and patient and loving, one who pursues his children, who sees the best, who's intimate, he wants relationship. We read that God in the Bible. It's all through the scriptures. But what we also see in this Bible is a God who is so perfect that he is also just. To be perfect means to be just. You can't be perfect if you just ignore guilt. That is an imperfection in itself. God is not able. That's not part of his character. He is perfect. It's so important to understand that his perfection leads to perfect love as much as it leads to perfect justice. And so for him just to say, hey, you know what? Anything goes, it doesn't matter. It's actually a slight against who he is as God. He can't do that. So what he did is he created a way. Right in Genesis chapter 3, you can read about it. Right after Adam and Eve sin, replace God with themselves and sin, the first thing that God does, it says he was walking through the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day, and he says, where are you to Adam and Eve? They've just sinned. They're hiding. God's inclination, this loving God, says, where are you? The pursuit starts. The pursuit that echoes all through the scriptures. Where are you in the darkness? So he's loving. And straight in Genesis 3, he talks about Jesus coming because he knew that the sin had to have justice placed upon it. This disobedience, there, there was a price to pay in exactly the same way. If somebody goes to court, then there is a price to pay. It would not be a loving or perfect judge if they just let them off the crime. So much so with God. But what he does is he says, look, you don't have to take the crime. You don't have to take the punishment. I will send my son and he will pay the price for you. That's amazing. That the one so perfect so just, so pure, would be willing to pay the price for my own decision to sin is mind-blowing. That he stepped forward and said, choose me. I will go. I will take Glenn's. That I will pay that price. I will take the price for Glenn's disobedience. And then the offer is exactly the same to all who believe. My sin imputed onto Jesus. But the story doesn't end there. This light of life hung on the cross. He said, it is finished. The sins of the world died with him on the cross. But all who believe can be participants of that. He died for three days. He went into the grave and three days later, he rose again in newness of life and the light shone again. And not only in him, but then also in all those who believe in the same way that my sin and shame was imputed onto Jesus. His life, his righteousness, his light is imputed onto me. It's called the great exchange. I'll take your sin, Glenn. I'll give you my light. What an amazing thing. And if we truly understood the weight of the sin that is in our lives, then we would be running to Jesus to say yes to that. That is the beauty of Christmas. This light shines and it makes no sense to me. 
that he would choose me. It makes no sense that he would say, for the joy of seeing Glenn, for the joy of being close to Glenn, for the joy of having Glenn filled with light, I will endure the shame of the cross. For the joy of that makes no sense. Christmas makes no sense. Have you ever thought about Christmas? You know, I talk about lights put on our, on our, on our, on our houses, and it's beautiful, love it. But, you know, and I, and I borrow heavily from uh, one of my favorite comedians, Jim Gaffigan, where he does this whole thing about Christmas, and he says, it just makes no sense. He says, we chop down trees and bring them into the house, and then we put dirty socks on the mantelpiece and fill them with candy. It makes no sense. But then you actually look at some of the traditions around the world. In Venezuela, uh, residents of Caracas turn up at church at Christmas time on roller skates. I think we should, it's time to start new traditions, don't you? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, we could, we could you know, have an ambulance on call. You'd need that for me, for sure. But they turn up to church on roller skates. Why? Well, because if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Let's go to church on roller skates. The other one that I really liked, in Germany, um, they hide a pickle in the tree on Christmas Eve, and then children go hunting for it. They must have really low expectations of their kids, because, hey, kids, we've put some pickles in the Christmas tree. Go find them. But here's a clue. Uh, it's in the tree. Follow your nose. You'll find it. It's crazy. In Britain, we have this thing called Christingle. How many of you know what a Christingle is? Okay, it's where you get an orange and you stab candles in it. And you take it to church and you light it. It's brilliant. Why? I don't know. Don't ask why. It's just Christmas. This is what we do at Christmas. We give flames to kids, or at least we used to. Gone are the days. And it just makes me, you know, just makes me sad, to be honest. Because we used to give kids candles, spend the whole rest of the year telling them not to go near flames. But on Christmas Eve, candlelit service, here's a candle. We got this amazing picture of Jack when he was like three, holding a candle like this far away from his nose, like hypnotized by it. That was an evangel. But it's okay because we're going to put a little bit of cardboard over their hands so that the wax, never mind the wax, what about the... I miss that. I don't know why we, we do that, but now we have to do it electronically. Soon, this will be too dangerous. We'll have to figure something else out because batteries, oh gosh, dreadful. Makes no sense. And I think if for nothing else, Christmas not making sense for all the traditions that we love and enjoy, and I'm not criticizing anyone, I love the silliness and the tradition of Christmas. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. But it's actually very apt because when you look at the light of life coming to live a perfect life and then going to the cross, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. And look at what he's given us. Look at what he's given us. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Oh, I, and I have in past spoken about each of these. I got a whole sermon. I'm not going to do that. Everlasting father. Why include the word father? Because God, the one who breathed life into place, wants an intimate relationship with you and me. 
He doesn't want to just be this concept. He wants to be your father. He wants to be somebody who is intimately involved in your life in the same way that I want to be involved in my kid's life. He wants to be involved in our lives. This wonderful father relationship is on offer. And and father is a very emotive term to many. Some of you have got really bad uh, examples in your life of fatherhood. Let me tell you, the perfect father in his perfect love and his perfect intimacy wants to be close to you. What a gift made available through the light of the world called Jesus. And you will never have that intimacy in your life through human means. There is nothing like having an intimate relationship with the everlasting Father. Even though He is King, He wants to come close. Then you have Prince of Peace. This isn't just an internal, I can feel comfortable when things go wrong in my life. And yes, it means that. It's an all-encompassing shalom. It's an absolute wholeness and complete flourishing, not just in your life, but also in the lives of those people around us. Shalom means a, a conversion in community where community is actually now, instead of seeing poverty, there's prosperity. Instead of disease, there's health. Instead of death, there's life. Instead of hunger, there's fullness. Instead of distance from God, there's closeness and intimacy. Instead of anxiety, there is internal peace. That's what shalom means. That's the promise of what God can bring. That's the kingdom of God that you, Christian friends, and I represent in our community. Peace on earth kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, comes through the light that is on his way, through the light that you and I can have relationship with. And then wonderful counselor. If you've been to a good counselor, I recommend you keep going. It's a great thing. I don't know if you've ever been to a poor counselor. I haven't. But a good counselor, a good divine counselor is someone who's going to continually remind you of who he is and who you are because of that. What he has done will fill you and revive you and refresh you on a constant basis. That is the promise that comes through the light of the world that we remember at Christmas. My favorite phrase in that is mighty God. It literally means God hero. I like that. Kind of really kind of appeals to all the the Braveheart gladiator movie in me. God hero. The one who would go to the cross, who steps forward and says, choose me. God hero. Do you have the relationship with the God hero that brings wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace, flooding into your life? That is the promise of Christmas. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. This guide through the darkness who's not just going to say, hey, let me, let me take your hand. Sometimes just gets you by the scruff of the neck and drags you out of the darkness and places you into the light. God, just take over. I'm tired of fumbling around trying to find my own way. He says, lean on me. That feeling that when you're a little boy or a little girl and your mom or your dad come and stand by and your chest puffs out and you feel strong, not because you're strong, but because they're strong. You can walk down a dark alley, not because you are brave, but because they are brave. They know what's in the shadows and you hold their hand and they take them with you. That is the offer that's being held to us at Christmas. It is the ultimate present. The rest of the text is all about how light is received as a gift. 
that it's just presented to you that literally every other world order and religion says this. You want to have shalom? You want to have a blessed life? Then this is what you must do. What Christianity does says, if you want shalom, if you want a blessed life, if you want to feel light in the darkness, here's what Jesus did. Believe in him. Look at verse 4. For the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. What Isaiah is saying, look, God is going to do all of these things just like he did something for uh, in the day of Midian. The day of Midian refers to a fight that happened with Gideon. Gideon fought and the army against Midian. And really they did nothing. God did everything. This is perhaps one of my favorite scriptures I'm going to share with you that I recommend that you place in every Christmas card. you remember those things, Christmas cards? (laughs) I remember Christmas cards. You should put this verse on Christmas cards and, um, and see what people say. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. But to us a child is born and to us a son is given. Sorry, Isaiah, um... Did you just mention uh, blood-soaked garments and baby in the same sentence? Because what is going on here? Like we're happy with the foot to us in Christmas cards. But what about blood-soaked garments? What he's actually saying is this, is you don't need your army regalia anymore. You don't even need to fight anymore, Israel. You can burn them. You're not going to need that. Because... There's a God hero on his way. And he's going to come as a baby. And he's going to live a perfect life. And he's going to fight every fight that you're going to ever need. And he's going to win every battle. You're not going to need your efforts anymore. No army, no contribution is needed on your part. Apart from look and believe. For to us a child is born. To us A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Who has this child been given to? Us. It's a gift. That is why Christmas is so beautiful. It's not that Jesus was just born. He was born for us, for you and I. He's not just alive. He's living for us. He's not just dying. He's dying for us in our place as our substitute, paying the price for us. And the light comes into our lives. This is an intimate relationship you can have with God. That joy and peace, intimacy, guidance, security, not because of anything that I have done, because everything I do tends to fail when it comes to these things. I can't bring my own peace. I can't bring my own joy. I can't bring, I think I can for a bit, but it doesn't seem to last too long. Everlasting upon everlasting found in Jesus, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And it frees us from trying. So let me finish with this. This beautiful gift that all of Christmas points to That our culture would say, what is the point of Christmas, even if they call it Christmas? By the way, it's coming full circle. I don't know if you've noticed culturally. You know, for a bit, it was all about holidays. And this is quite typical if you look at social history, that there's this kind of revolt against, yes, not Christmas, it's holidays. And then after a bit, people go, hang on a minute. Why not Christmas? 
And Britain, we were already there in Britain. They've gone through, they've gone from Christmas to, no, no, it offends people. And then all the people who we were meant to be offending by calling it Christmas all went, we're not offended. It's fine, call it what you like. Okay, back to Christmas again. (laughs) So Christmas, what's Christmas about culturally? Generosity, love, family, getting fatter, giving presents, getting together. All those things are beautiful and wonderful. But the big reason why do we do that is because God has given us a beautiful gift. Open the gift. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be filled with light. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone, even you. Yeah, but Glenn, you don't know my story. Even you. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Christian friends, I want to invite you, even in our final song, to just reflect on the enormity of the gift that has been given to you. And maybe you've taken the gift and placed it aside and gone, actually, I think I can do my own thing for a while. Go back to the gift whether it be time of reflection in silence and solitude in your own time to reflect on what Jesus has done for you and continues to give to you. And as you place your attention on him, you'll find your heart reorients back to what you were created to be, which is to walk in the light. Take time to do that. And if we all open this gift, if we all lived in the light, what effect would it have on our neighbors and our church and on our family If intimacy and peace and security and joy and all those things as Christians we have been given through Jesus, if we take that into our world and live it as light of our lives, what the effect would be in our city and our province and our country and world would be beyond imagination. That our reactions would change, our words would change, our actions, our generosity would all line up with light of the world This truly would be a gift worth giving to our city at Christmas. Amen? Let's pray. I just want you to close your eyes and enjoy the moment of quiet. might seem strange to some of you. I just want to invite you to open your hands. It's in your lap, maybe, like you're receiving a gift from somebody. We have no embarrassment when it comes to physically receiving the gift, reaching out. I just want you to just hold your hands as a reaching out as I pray. Lord, as we, we sit together in this room with our hands symbolically open towards you. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would do that which I am incapable of doing. Lord, 
is whisper into the very core of who we are. Remind us that you are light of this world. And in you there is no darkness. Lord, I, I stand here and I, I have in my hands and in my mind all those things that I so readily hold on to and try and control. And I offer them to you. My anxieties, my concerns, my control. I offer them to you. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift that you offer back. You said your yoke, your burden is easy. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gift. We believe and we confess that you are Lord. My family, Father. I give you my kids. I give you my bank account. I give you my work. I give you my health. I give you my marriage. I give you my hopes, my future, my dreams. I give them all to you, Lord. Forgive me, Father, for the times where I have placed myself first. That I have put myself on the throne of my life. Where I've been utterly self-focused. Forgive me, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the the love that you promise. Thank you, Jesus, for the peace that comes through a knowledge of you. Thank you, Jesus, for the joy, deep, deep joy. Thank you, Jesus, that I can reach out and I can hold on to you in the times when it feels so, so dark. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you did on the cross for me. That truly that is the hope of Christmas, that I can recognize you as Lord. And that the fullness of life and light can be mine in return. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Your sweet, sweet name, Jesus. want to invite you as an extension of our prayer as, as we sing this beautiful song, Tis So Sweet, the name of Jesus. We stand and sing together as a declaration of our love and our hope and of who he is this Christmas. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest. Oh, <laughs> rest would be so good. Upon his promise, 
just to know, thus saith the Lord. Let's sing together.